Well, we're delighted to have every one of you here today. I see some new faces, and we're so blessed that you would join us. Uh, we're a spiritual family. That's really all we are. Uh, church is not something you go to. Church is something you are. And it's because we belong to Jesus. And so if you're in Christ, then uh, you're very much a part of us. And if you're searching for Christ, you're very, very welcome here too. Because we are all on this journey of finding the Lord and his will for our lives. And really more importantly, letting him find us. <laughs> and so we're just delighted you're here. We've had this weekend, as Paul mentioned earlier, a group of leaders and friends and lifelong friends really with us for some meetings uh, about the future, the present, and the future of the Association of Covenant Ministries. We spent some time talking about uh, our elevator speech. And uh, so you would think now would be a really good time for me to use that. But I don't remember what we said. Um, now, we're a group of leaders and churches and ministries that are really followers of Jesus, designed towards extending the kingdom of God. And we gather just to encourage one another to meet and learn and worship. Uh, and then we get to work together, too, as the Lord gives us opportunity. And so, you like that? Yeah. I was up all night long practicing that, so I'm like, glad you liked it. So along with Paul and Robert, and really this group has historically come out of their worlds of life and ministry over the last... Uh, almost 50 years, um, it has uh, kind of extended to us. And so we have the opportunity to be a part of this larger group. And so it's great to have them. So we've had Paul and Robert here, of course, but we've also had Dennis call. Dennis, would you stand up? Do you mind? And Brian Emmett also with us and Gordon Green with us. And then Jamie and I were here and also Kevin Davenport was here. He had to fly out this morning. Would you give these men a hand? <clears throat> And later this spring, we'll be having the planning committee come and uh, plan the conference that we're actually hosting here in Atlanta this year for the first time. And so many of you will have opportunity to be a part of that, especially on Sunday morning. Here's what we do. Sunday morning, we don't have church here. I know that's almost sacrilegious, isn't it? But what we're going to encourage everyone to do is to come to Buckhead, where we're having that conference on Sunday morning and worship with all the conference attenders and friends and family. It's a great family time. You only have to get there at nine instead of 10 a.m. So start counting your hours now for next Sunday, Daylight Savings Time, and then also that Sunday. So just wonderful connections that we get to have. And of course, uh, my dear friend, pastor, mentor, uh, Robert Grant is with us and we know uh, Robert and Sue, we got to see some really wonderful photos here of Robert's past life. Um, and I don't think, uh, I don't know how James gets a hold of these things, but uh, he knows Robert's sister, Leroy and Judy. Yes, I'm sure we're part of that. So we're delighted to have Robert here with us this morning. After the end of the ministry of the word, uh, of course, we will come to the Lord's table and uh, we will receive that which the Lord has given for us and we'll speak more about that. Would you please welcome our friend, Robert Grant. I was thinking this morning that um, as we were worshiping, I said, this is one of my favorite things to do is to get on board with a group of people that are engaging sacred rhythms. 
gathering in his name, uh, having joy of just being with one another and worshiping together and then having an opportunity to hear from the word of God and listen to what it says and then amend our lives according to what we've heard and then being at peace with one another, coming to his table to feed on him in our hearts by faith and then to go out to love and serve the Lord and the calling he's given us. That is a wonderful thing uh, to experience and to be able to share together with others. It's what I refer to as sacred rhythms. And when those things are present, life always goes much better. How many of you have heard the word Equifax? A good number. Uh, how about Esperian? What are those organizations? They're credit agencies. And they afford you and me credit scores. And my, I think that the current range is like 300 to 850, which is the max. Uh, somebody said they're going to bump it up to 900, but, but anybody who has applied for a credit card has had a credit score. Anybody who goes to apply for a home loan, they will surely run a credit score to see what the agencies have to say about how well you have performed in the management of your finances and your responsibilities to people to whom you owe money. They will take note of your payment record, your payment history. And if you've not experienced dealing with those agencies, I assure you, unless you go to a cave in Tennessee somewhere and disappear, you will have to deal with credit agencies. They will give you your FICO score and let you know whether or not you are worthy to have credit attributed to you, whether you are qualified to receive monies from the bank. And the whole system is based upon evaluating and assessing your financial performance and how well you have done. And so, if any of you have ever applied for a credit card, have you ever found yourself saying, I wonder what my credit score was? Most uh, online banking now will provide some form of that so you can know what your credit score is. But it's all based upon an assessment of how well you've done and how uh, significant your performance has been as to whether or not you will be worthy enough to receive the funds. I remember one of my earliest childhood memories uh, was when I was in the first grade. It may have been the second, but I think the first. 
And the first time that a teacher handed me this sealed envelope that I would have to take home to my parents and give to my parents, and they would have to sign what was in that envelope for me to bring back to the school as assurance that my parents had seen what was in that envelope. My middle name is Benford. It's Old English, it was the name of my grandfather. It's the name that my parents gave to me. It's Robert Benford Grant. Well, when I was at that age, the uh, family abbreviated it to a nickname, Benny, B-I-N-N-Y, so I was Benny. And I brought home that manila envelope and I gave it to my parents and they opened it. And written on there by my teacher was the statement, Benny could do much better work. <laughs> Can you tell how much that blessed me? and how much it helped me, how much it motivated me to better performance, being capable of doing much greater work. I think by the way I'm talking about it that you're discerning that somewhere in the features of my soul there's a scar left <laughs> From that teacher, Benny is capable of much better work. Another thing that uh, really blessed me is when people would say, shame on you. I would say something or do, shame on you. That really blessed me too. Word of encouragement to young parents, never say shame on you. Correct, discipline, instruct, but never shame. Because it's tantamount to a curse. And puts a blanket over a child from which they cannot crawl out. Don't do it ever. I remember in the sixth grade, uh, I was a chunky kid. I wasn't uh, in those days particularly good athlete. I don't think I've ever been a real good athlete. I've had fun doing some athletic things. But uh, I remember they were picking uh, teams for softball. And uh, the two captains were selected. And they started choosing, calling out names of people, alternating back and forth who they would have, who they picked, and what position they would play on the team. And it came, I kept waiting. I kept waiting. And nobody was picking me. And I kept waiting, and finally, 
Somebody said, Benny Grant. I was still Benny in the sixth grade. Benny Grant. Bench. That really blessed me. It was a rating of uh, me and my athletic skills uh, that let me know that I was at the bottom of the pile and least desirable uh, as a participant. I will hasten to say to satisfy uh, just a tad bit of ego that might be remaining in my soul somewhere <laughs> is that uh, in short order, I went out and started knocking home runs off the fence and they, it changed their point of view because my performance surprised them. I had earned a place of value in their eyes by the way I'd performed. I'd like to talk to you in just a few minutes and really this is all in preparation for our pathway together to the table. It has to do with a different credit agency and a different kind of credit. And I'm reading from Genesis 15. It has to do with Abraham. The word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. It's God speaking to Abram. And the verse simply says, Abram, believed the Lord and he credited it To him as righteousness. It had nothing to do with Abraham's performance or his perfection. It had to do with the fact that he accepted and believed what God had promised. And immediately, Abraham was 850. No dings, no depreciations, no qualifiers, 850. Imagine that. Even what follows in the act of circumcision and his obedience to be circumcised was not a performance issue that established his credit score. The credit score had already been issued based upon the fact that God trusted and believed what God had said and what God had done for me or him. Uh, my little insider belief about circumcision, why uh, that particular part of the male anatomy, the reproductive organs of the male was used as a sign of the covenant. I used to think, well, Lord, couldn't you use earlobes or <laughs> let's go with something else? 
But the significance of Abram being circumcised was a statement that his future, his success, and the fulfillment of that promise was not dependent upon him being able to procreate out of his own loins and out of his own strength, but was dependent upon the God of the promise who was able to fulfill what he said he would do. When we jump forward into Romans, it picks up the same thing. By the way, um, I'm looking at notes on my phone. Can you believe that? It's just amazing. It's important. The word that's used, by the way, the, the first time the word righteousness is used is in that passage that I read about Abram. First time the word righteousness is used. And that word in the Hebrew is kadik. Kadik. And what it means is the state of him who is such as he ought to be. That righteousness means right standing, that is standing in the state that he was designed to be or that he ought to be. So when Abram was declared righteousness, whatever his earthiness involved, God saw him as being in that state that he ought to be and for which he was meant to be. Hang on to this, please. I I do not want this to be cerebral. If this does not get down to, to the inward parts of our being, and register us, we're going to be left believing one thing and living by something else. Remember, Kadik, that is when the state of him who is such as he ought to be. Jumping forward to Romans uh, chapter 4, against all hope, uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham in hope, again, against all hope, Abraham in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Faced the fact, the external, the obvious, the evident, says no. Since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, 
but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Now the English translation of that word kadik and derived from the Greek comes from the old English word ritwis, R-I-H-T-W-I-S. It's an old English word meaning right plus wise. Right standing with wisdom. That's why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I'm, I'm drilling for one thing uh, for someone or ones here who might find themselves caught in this tug of war where we affirm by confession and doctrinal understanding that our credit score by believing in what God has done for us in Christ is an unqualified 850. Fully credited and fully qualified by what he has done for us. We affirm that and we say that we believe that but have a tendency to default to trying to get a better credit score. By trying to earn the place of feeling better about ourselves. Or by earning greater status in the eyes of others around us. Because we live in a culture and an environment that is so based upon performance, perception, imagery, and doing the dance even if there's no music playing. That is the nature of the culture in which we live. It is all around us everywhere. And so the tendency to think theologically, yes, I am redeemed, I am right with wisdom in the eyes of God 
simply because I believe what he says and that he's able to fulfill his promise. But then live our daily lives as if we're still earning and striving to be considered worthy to get the loan. Are you with me? We're preparing to come to the table that he's prepared for us. And I hope that you will engage with me some uh, consideration and some reflection on this table that's been prepared for us. It's a, it's a fold-up table with a white cloth on it, and it's got communion elements on it. But it's way more than that. It's a long table. You got to see this as a long table that reaches back not only to the Last Supper, but through the Last Supper to the Exodus. And that all those that have gone before us, and I will mention Scott's mother and John. John Duke, and others that we could mention, Dow Robinson, all have had their place at that table. Rebecca, have their place, have had their place, and do have their place at that table, which reaches back and reaches through the veil. And that when we come to this table and we receive the simple fruits of the earth, the bread and the juice from the cup, that we are participating in a holy meal that all of those that have gone before us have participated in and that in some way I don't get it. This is beyond my ability to explain. We come and take our place because our credit score is 850. Because we believed him who promised and that he's able, we're persuaded, he's able to keep that which we've committed to him against that day. We come to that table, we take that place alongside of all of those who've gone before, all of those that are here this morning, and all those that will yet come, we participate in that sacred meal in anticipation of the wedding feast of the Lamb, which is yet to come. It's a long table, and it's the communion of the saints. It's full of rich things. And so when we say take 
and eat. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Take them and eat and feed on them in your hearts by faith. It's entering into something that is holy, that is sacred, that's meaningful, and that transcends time. And transcends the limitations of this time-space world in which we live. And please see yourself. If you're struggling, if you are wrestling with whether or not your credit score is high enough and whether you're worthy to come to that table. Well, you're not. In every natural sense of the word. But you have a heavenly father that says 850. And if you need to do this, I, I encourage you, at least mentally, to see yourself setting aside the garments of striving and to put over your shoulders the garment of righteousness that's been handed to you by your heavenly father because of the finished work of Jesus. The dance is over. The performance is done. It's all been done for you and there's nothing you can do to improve your score in God's eyes. And so it doesn't make any difference if you feel worthy or you're struggling with your own carnality. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and he views you as accepted in the beloved. So come to the table like a little child with a dance in your step. Excited and anticipating what he is going to do for you and in you and what your participation in this meal, in this moment, does in connecting you with the whole communion of saints and the riches of our inheritance. You have been made worthy. Your credit score, you have been credited with righteousness to be in a state such as you ought to be. Will you receive that? I'm speaking it and I'm hoping it's imparting something to where if you've been struggling, you can say, it's okay. I want to run to the table and I will want to receive the Jesus food, the Jesus bread, the Jesus wine and be fed in my heart that I will know him better, love him more and to go out and to serve him in a better way. Father, I pray over your word as your servant has presented it. It's the work of your Holy Spirit that causes something to move in our hearts and our minds in such a way that we are transformed. That we're different. And that takes your work and your presence. And to that end, I 
commit these thoughts into your hands and ask you to use them as you will, as it seems right. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.